Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly happy hour here on Trending. What motivates us to be distracted? I know I was distracted today. Lots of things going on. Unpacking the house. 39 weeks pregnant and ready to go any day now. I'm still rooting for my Marian feast day, okay? Today's the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which we're going to talk about that. It's been significant for me in prayer, and I'll share a little bit why, and some of the neat symbols of Our Lady of Guadalupe and that miraculous uh, image on the tilma of Juan Diego. We'll talk about that a little later during our weekly happy hour today on Trending. But I want to talk about distraction in particular. Nira Isle will join me in just a few moments here. He's the author of the book, Indistractable, and he's a renowned speaker. And he wrote a whole book on distraction. He was inspired to dive deep into this topic. And it's one that all of us struggle with, whether you want to be more productive, less distracted, cut back on some of those bad habits. We're going to unpack all of it. So if you have a question about productivity, distraction, task saturation, near is the person to talk to. Give us a call. The number is 1-888-914-9149. Tons of questions have already been coming in ahead of the show. Also talk about how prayer and confession can help us deal with negative urges. For example, those things that we tend to pick up that distract us. We'll discuss that later on during the show as well as diving into whole topic all hour of happiness. So what motivates us to be distracted? Near Isle is the author of Indistractable. You can find him at nearandfar.com. That's N-I-R and far.com. Nir, welcome back to Trending. I'm really excited to unpack motivation in particular and what motivates us toward our distractions so that we can rope those in to be more productive and actually do the things we want to achieve each day. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, first of all, for having me back. It's great to be back with you today. And so we, when we answer this question of why do we get distracted? It's, it's such a, I think, a fascinating question. And it's one that's not a new question. Uh, you know, people think that somehow technology is what makes us distracted. The modern world is what makes us distracted. Well, we know that there are records of Plato, the Greek philosopher, talking about distraction. He called it akrasia in the Greek 2,500 years ago. So that tells us that distraction can't be caused by our modern devices. This has to be a, a problem that's been with us for, for a much longer period of time. And therefore, the source of this of this problem of distraction isn't something caused by our modern devices. It goes much, much deeper than that. And so in order to answer this question of why do we get distracted, which is, is really fascinating if you think about it, because the problem is not that we don't know what to do. We all basically know what to do. If we want to lose weight, we have to exercise and eat right. If we want to be fully present with our family, we have to make sure that, that we give them the attention they deserve. If we want to be better at our job, we have to make sure we do the kind of work that other people don't want to do and do it well. So we know what to do. 
the problem is not that we don't know what to do. The problem is that we don't know how to get out of our own way. We don't know how to stop getting distracted. So to answer this question of why don't we just do the things we say we're going to do, we have to dive a level deeper, which is to ask ourselves, why do we do everything and anything? What is the root cause of human motivation? And it's not what most people think. Most people think that motivation is about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain, the old carrot and stick. It turns out that we now know uh, through n neural imaging, actually seeing what's happening in the brain, we know that motivation is not about pain and pleasure. Motivation is about just one thing, and that is the desire to escape discomfort. That in fact, everything we do, even the desire to feel good, lusting, craving, desire, all these things, in fact, are psychologically destabilizing. There's a reason we say love hurts, because in the brain, the way the brain gets us to act is by spurring this bit of discomfort that, uh, that, that, acts, that acts as this catalyst towards action. So once we realize that all human behavior is about a desire to escape discomfort, that must therefore mean that time management is pain management. I would argue as well, weight management is pain management. Money management is pain management. Because again, all human behavior is spurred right. by desire to escape discomfort. And once we realize that fact, we realize that these urges to get distracted, to do something that we didn't intend to do, is nothing more than managing a feeling. Interesting. So you're saying all of our distractions that we allow, because it is, we allow to bombard us, even if unknowingly, are really coping mechanisms pulling away from whatever it is that's less comfortable moving us towards what is more comfortable. That's exactly right. So that even if we look at the origin of the word distraction, if you ask most people, what is the opposite of distraction? They'll tell you the opposite of distraction is focus, right? I don't want to be distracted. I want to be focused. But that's not actually true. That the opposite of distraction, if you look at the origin of the word, it comes from the Latin root word uh, trahare, which means to pull. So distraction, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction, right? Mm -hmm. Traction and distraction. Both words end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action, reminding us that distraction is not something that happens to us, but rather it is an action that we ourselves take. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do, things that you do with intent, things that move you closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. Those are acts of traction. Everything else is a distraction. Distraction mm -hmm. is an action that pulls you away from what you plan to do, further away from your goals, further away from your values, further away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. Well, it's interesting because when you talk about traction, that's our goal, right? But I keep thinking of the story in your book about motivation of the TED Talk that was given by Chance. And she talks about um, basically how she became so motivated by this app that she had been a part of creating. And in a sense, you'd argue that she was making traction with what she was working toward, but it was actually a distraction from what she needed to make traction. So can you share with us a little bit about that story? Because I know that you actually reached out sure. to this woman and unpacked more of what was going on behind the scenes and how this actually fits with the entire idea that we don't just have distractions, we have distractions that are coping mechanisms pulling us away from the discomfort that we're trying to avoid. Exactly. Yeah. So Dr. Zoe Chance is a professor at Yale and she actually studies behavioral design. So she's very much in this field of how products and services can change our behavior. And so she was researching a particular app that she found very interesting. And this was a fitness app. It was helping her get more steps throughout her day. 
And she started using it and she found, wow, this is really well designed. And she started getting in more steps. And at first, this was a very healthy behavior. It was an act of traction. But then she found that the app was so well designed that she started challenging herself to do more and more steps. And the app was, of course, reinforcing this behavior. And it gave her different kind of rewards. It said, you know, if you do your 10,000 steps for today, you'll get some extra points. Uh, And then if you do them again in a streak tomorrow, you'll get even more points. And one day she found herself after work coming home, getting this notification on her phone that had a daily step goal challenge. And she didn't have enough steps for the day. So she started walking up and down the stairs to her basement. And as soon as she finished one challenge, the app gave her another challenge and said, guess what? If you do whatever it was, 10,000 more steps, we'll give you a double bonus. And she walked up and down the stairs to her basement until four in the morning. <laughs> and so this was a great example, I think. This is a true of story. How something that starts a tr- totally true story. You can watch her TED Talk where she <laughs> says exactly this. And what, what's fascinating here is that even a behavior that we think is a healthy behavior, right? Who, who doesn't want to exercise more? Who doesn't want to get in better shape? It can start as a healthy behavior. But if it takes us away from what we said we were going to do, namely in Zoe Chance's case, getting to bed, getting some rest, it becomes a distraction. And so this is actually alludes to the number one source of distraction. The number one source of distraction, it's not the pings, dings, and rings on your phone. It's not the video games. It's not television. It's the fact that we do one thing thinking we're being productive, but that's really taking us away from something else. So for example, Mm -hmm. for years, I would go to work and I would say, okay, I need to work on that big project right now. I'm not going to get distracted. Nothing's going to get in my way, but let me just check email for a few minutes, right? (laughs) Let me me just work on that (laughs) that thing on my to-do list. Yeah, exactly. It's a work-related task. I got to do it at some point today, right? Or, or you know, it's it's a Saturday and I have that big project I need to work on that I've been delaying. But, you know, let me just, I'll just take out the trash real quick and let me, let me just do the laundry real quick. And then by the end of the day, I haven't done the one thing I said I was going to do. So this brings us to this point that just because something is a task that needs to get done doesn't mean it's not a distraction. Because if it's not what you said you were going to do in that time and place, if it's not what you said in advance was going to happen, it's a distraction. Just like with Zoe Chance, exercise is great, but if it takes away from the things you said you were going to do with your time, being with your family, going to sleep, whatever it might be, now it's a distraction because it's not what you said you were going to do in advance with your time and attention. We're going to take, we're going to take questions later on during the show. One of my my personal questions is your philosophy on email because that is a huge distraction, mm. uh, and yet we think we're making traction with it, but then we become slaves. So we'll talk about that a little later on. If you have a question for my guest today, Near Isle is the author of Indistractable. He's a renowned speaker. You can find him at nearandfar.com. That's N I R and far.com. Incredible book titled Indistractable. 10 out of 10 recommend. You need to add it to your reading list. You can really make it through it pretty quickly and it's worth the read to start implementing these things in your day-to-day life. I'd like to come for a moment near back to the Dr. Zoe Chance story. So she gives us TED Talk. She shares about how she becomes addicted essentially to this app and it's got her up in the morning till 4 a.m. because she's trying to get more points for this virtual world that she's building uh, at the same time as she's getting, you know, all this pleasure, reward, and distraction. But what was interesting is when you actually reached out to Dr. Zoe Chance, you found out that everything held true, that 
what she was really seeking wasn't this pleasure of this app, but she was avoiding discomfort. Things were difficult in her marriage, in her career at the time. Mm -hmm. And she recognizes all of this was just a distraction, filling in the gap of what was going on. And so in your book, you actually talk about how a lot of our distractions can actually um, be essentially things that are addictive behaviors for us because we're trying so hard to avoid that discomfort. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, that that's a really great point that, you know, when I when I reached out to her and I, I wanted to get a little bit more depth on what was going on in her life, what she didn't say in her TED Talk is that she was in the middle of a very difficult separation from her husband. She was also trying to get a job to get tenure and uh, she was having a tough time of it. And so what she was doing was essentially escaping reality through distraction. And that's always the case, that distraction is always a, a maladaptive response to discomfort. So we said earlier how all human motivation is about a desire to escape discomfort. Well, there's two ways you can escape that discomfort. You can either use that discomfort as rocket fuel to propel you towards traction, which is what we find high performers do. They, they feel the same boredom and loneliness and fatigue and uncertainty that everyone else does, but they can harness that discomfort to push them towards traction. What other people do, what people who are easily distracted do, they try and escape that discomfort. So whatever it is that's going on in their life, if it's you know disappointment, stress, anxiety, uncertainty, they look for escape. And so whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much Facebook, too much football, you are always going to find a distraction somewhere unless you deal with that deeper source of the discomfort. And so sometimes it's about fixing the issue, right? Sometimes the issue just has to be fixed, whether it's trouble in your marriage, whether it's a, a, a difficult situation at work. If you can fix it, you must. But some situations can't be fixed, right? It's part of being a grown-up is that sometimes life is uncomfortable. And what we tend to see a, a, a preponderance of these days is that people think that they shouldn't feel discomfort. And that's ridiculous, right? That pain and discomfort mm -hmm. is part of human existence. It's about how we deal with that discomfort. Do we try and escape it so we don't feel it by numbing ourselves with you know, a substance or some kind of distraction? Or can we lean into it and, and help it uh, use it as a way to make us better to lead us towards more traction? Fantastic. So let's talk about solutions here. So we need to be able to identify, one, what the distraction is, but more importantly, what it is pulling us, um, what we're trying to pull away from in terms of the discomfort, what we're avoiding. Uh, so talk about proximate versus root causes when it comes to those discomforts so that we can actually address the problem. Absolutely. So the first step to becoming indistractable is to master these internal triggers that we know that 90% of the time that we get distracted, 90% is not because of a ping ding or ring on our phone or something in our external environment. It's not the external triggers. That's only 10% of the time we get distracted. Rather, the other 90% is coming from within us. It's loneliness, boredom, fatigue, uncertainty, anxiety. This is 90% of the time that we get distracted. We are looking for an escape from this discomfort. So that's the root cause of the problem. The proximal cause is whatever instrument we use to distract us, whether it's our phones, whether it's uh, watching too much TV, uh, whether it's uh, worrying about somebody's problem 3,000 miles away in the news so we, have, so we don't have to feel what we're feeling right now. We will always look for these ways to escape discomfort in one way or the other unless we have practices, unless we have routines in place that we know what to do when we feel that discomfort. So the, the idea here is, is not that we wanna avoid the discomfort. We're going to feel it, that's okay. We need to accept that, that that discomfort is going to occur, 
but that we have tools in our toolkit ready to go so that we can deal with discomfort in a healthy way that leads us to traction rather than distraction. So for some people, that can be prayer, right? For some people, that can be a pause. For some people, that can be anything that they say they're going to do instead of doing the thing that they will later regret. So if it's, uh, I need to do this big project and I don't feel like it, uh, let me just check email for a few seconds. That, that makes me feel like I'm being productive. If I feel like my home life isn't going well, well, let me just, you know, scroll social media or watch TV for a little bit to escape it. You know, I need a, I need a break is what we tell ourselves. Well, not necessarily. If then you look back and you say, oh my gosh, I, I, I just spent 20 minutes doing something that I thought would take a few seconds. Now you've wasted that time and you'll later, that leads to regret. So the idea here is that we have to master these internal triggers or they will become our masters. So I can give you many, many techniques. There's over a dozen different techniques in the book that we can use. One of my favorite is called the 10 minute rule. And the 10 minute rule says that you can give in to any distraction, to any distraction, but not right now, in 10 minutes, not for 10 minutes, in 10 minutes. So I'll give you an example in my life. I've been a professional author now for over a decade. And let me tell you, writing never gets easy. Okay, it's always no. hard work. You cannot turn writing into a habit, right? A habit yes. is a behavior done with little or no conscious thought. Writing takes a lot of conscious thought. It's very, very difficult to do. And all I want to do while I'm writing is check the news or check my email or go on a, uh, go do something else. I, I, I don't want to do the writing because it's very, very hard. So what I do instead now, and I do this almost every single day, whenever I feel like I'm about to get distracted, I set a timer for just 10 minutes, okay? 10 minutes, I set the timer, and now I have a choice to make. I can either get back to the task at hand, okay? Or I can do what's called surf the urge. Surfing the urge acknowledges that these uncomfortable sensation, they are transitory, okay? They come and they go. When you feel bored, lonesome, uh, indecisive, fatigued, you don't feel that forever. You feel it for a small period of time, but somehow we think we're gonna feel it forever, and so we need to seek escape from it. So if you just tell yourself, okay, this is a transitory emotion, and I need to ride it like a surfer on a surfboard. I just need to ride that wave. This is called surfing the urge. And so what you can do is to start having a little conversation with yourself. And I teach you exactly in the book, Indistractable, what kind of script to follow. So for example, I used to beat myself up when I felt like I wanted to escape the difficulty of writing. I would say, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not doing this right, or maybe I'm not, I'm not a real author. A real author wouldn't feel this discomfort. Well, now I don't have that kind of negative self-talk. Now I tell myself this simple mantra, this is what it feels like to get better. This mm. is what it feels like to get better. And so if we can remind ourselves when we're having difficulty in all domains of our life, this is what it feels like to get better, that discomfort is natural. It's part of the process. And so if you can just do that for just 10 minutes, what you will find is by the time that timer rings, you'll be back at ta on that task. Because that's, this choice of saying I can just surf the urge, take a little break and, and pause with myself and, and have this conversation with myself about why I'm getting better at something that this discomfort is normal. And then as soon as you're ready, get back to that task at hand. What you're teaching yourself over time is that you do have the power to overcome distraction. And so what Fantastic. happens is that the 10 minute rule becomes the 12 minute rule, becomes the 15 minute rule, becomes mm -hmm. the 20 minute rule. And you're teaching yourself, hey, I, I do have agency. I do have control over this distraction. This is fantastic because it's teaching you resilience, persistence, perseverance in those moments, but it also requires a lot of self-awareness, awareness to kind of know what some of your distractions are when you start to gravitate toward them, or even to just know when you're kind of mm -hmm. quitting on something and you're running in a different direction. And these are little quitting moments, right? Like very, very simple, but they're very impactful. And so I love this chapter in your book about helping us to understand 
what motivates us to be distracted so that we can implement solutions to take back our time and get the things done that we need to or want to get done to enjoy day-to-day moments. It's our weekly happy hour here on Trending with Timory. That's Near Isle. He's the author of Indistractable, fantastic book. You can find him at nearandfar.com. That's N-I-R and far.com. Post the link on social media to the book as well as his website. We're going to come back taking your questions about how to be more productive. I know I have questions. Tons have been coming in all day on social media as well as phone calls. So if you have a question, number is 1-888-914-9149 and pick up a copy of Nier's book. Again, I've tagged it, him and posted it on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E on Instagram or Twitter. listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back to our weekly happy hour. Do you struggle with distraction? Do you wish you were more productive or just had more time to do the things you want to do or pay attention to the people you want to pay attention? I know this is important to me, especially as a wife and mom, that I'm not getting distracted, especially from my primary vocation role as a wife and a mother, especially with baby number two due any day, 39 weeks tomorrow. So excited. I'm still rooting for my Marian Feast Day. We got uh, today Our Lady of Guadalupe. We'll see what happens. How many hours do I have left? Okay, I've got about a seven and a half hours to go. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm still rooting for it. Uh, but joining me today is Nir Isle, the author of Indistractable. Fantastic book. You can find him at nearandfar.com. That's N-I-R and far.com. Tagged him and posted links to all of this on social media. Just follow me at Timmery. T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Okay, so rapid fire questions here because a ton of questions have been coming in. I want to try to dive into as many as possible. Andrew on Instagram asked, I'm having trouble prioritizing when a list, a to-do list is so long. What do I prioritize? Oh, this is such a good question. I'll try and make it rapid fire, but it's a tough one because I (laughs) I think to-do lists are one of the worst things you can do for your personal productivity, or at least I should say, using to-do lists on their own is the worst thing you can do for your personal productivity. Because what most people do is they put a bunch of things on their to-do list. And of course, to-do lists have no constraints. So you get this mile-long to-do list of things. You come home from work at the end of the day. You feel like you've been productive. You feel like you've been working hard. And yet here you have all these things you still haven't accomplished. Loser. So what does that do to your psyche? What does that do to your self-image when day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year? Okay, that's that's fine. That's fine. But here's the thing. What do we tend to check check off? We check off the easy stuff. We check off the urgent stuff, not the important stuff, not the hard work that moves our lives and careers forward. So when we do that, in fact, you're not alone, Timory, by the way. I, I've actually met people who will write things down after they do them just for the sake of checking them off so they can feel like they were productive. Right. <laughs> that's that's of course ridiculous. So a much better technique than the to-do list is the time-boxed calendar. Listen, folks, you cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. I'll say that again. You cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if you look at your calendar and you've got big open blank spaces, what did you get distracted from? You didn't plan what you were going to do with your time in advance. So you can't say you got distracted. So better than a to-do list is to take those tasks on your to-do list and put them on your calendar. Why is this so important? 
because calendars do have a constraint. Unlike a to-do list, which can be you know endless, you can always add more to to-do list, a time box calendar has the constraint of time. We all have the same 24 hours in the day. So by having that constraint, you're, it's forcing you to prioritize based on one thing, which is your values. What are values? Values are attributes of the person you want to become. Values are attributes of the person you want to become. So it forces you to ask yourself, how would the person I want to become spend their time? So by doing that day by day, saying, okay, I want this much time with my family. I want this much time at work. I want this much time doing a particular kind of work. I want this much time for myself. Now you have to make trade-offs. You have to decide what's more important, this or that. So the way to see someone's real values, right? They can, we can talk a good game, but to really see someone's values, you what look you at two things. For. You look at their calendar mm -hmm. and you look at their checkbook. You see how they spend their money and you see how they spend their time. And just like with our money, we wouldn't just give money to anyone, right? We were thoughtful about how we spend our money. I mean, think about all the effort people put into clipping coupons and looking for deals. But with our time, why do we somehow think we should just give it to whoever asked for it? Okay, the TV has something important. There's something on social media. Here, take my time. No, we need to be very judicious about how we spend our time. We need to be, in fact, cheap with our time and generous with our money. Because remember, we can always make more money. You cannot make more time. Fantastic. So time box calendar is a solution to the to-do list. And I so appreciate this because like you said, you can't say that something's a distraction if you don't know what you were distracted from. And I think that this is what a lot of people do in their work days or even their home life. So even, you know, home life, you can't really enjoy relaxing if you didn't prioritize, okay, let's say, you know, Sunday, I'm not going to do all my grocery shopping and my errands and all of those mm -hmm. things because we have to prioritize that. And that's something I've really tried hard so, not to do. Such a great point is not get all those things done. And this Sunday was one of the first times we just, we had time home. We were still getting things done at the house because we're moving, but we weren't running to the grocery store and doing this odd and end. My guest today is Nir Isle. He's the author of the book, Indistractable. Nir, we have a call from Vincent in Maryville, Indiana. Vincent, what's your question for Nir today? Good evening. Um, I'm listening to what you're saying and it makes a ton of sense. I, I see myself in a lot of what you're saying. Do you have any tips or is there any different ways to look at things when you're dealing with adolescents with ADD and ADHD, which by diagnosis, they're more distractible? So, Nir, Absolutely. So this thoughts? is a great question. Yeah. So yeah. what are your thoughts on those challenges? Yeah, so for my ADD book wasn't specifically... Absolutely. So it wasn't written specifically for people suffering from ADHD. It's written for everyone. However, many clinicians do use my book as a, a first step. So remember, pills don't teach skills. Pills don't teach skills. Many folks, when they get a diagnosis, unfortunately, they, they take the easy step first, which is here, here's a pill. But remember, all pills, especially when administered to children, have side effects, right? So we need to use medication as the last resort. Not that not, it's a bad thing. We shouldn't avoid it necessarily. And some people who really do have this diagnosis of ADHD should take medication. But we want to, as the first step, as well as something that we do in addition to medication, we want to teach these skills. And the skills we teach our children are incredibly important because listen, folks, if you think the world is distracting now, just wait. We know the world is going to become an increasingly distracting place with virtual reality and augmented reality and who knows what other realities. It is absolutely imperative that we teach our children the most important skill of the century, which is becoming indistractable. Starting with the best thing you can do, if you find that your children are distracted, 
the best thing you can do is to become indistractable yourself because you cannot tell your children, stop, you know, stop playing Fortnite or get off social media when here you are looking at your phone and checking email or, or Facebook or whatnot. You have to become an indistractable parent yourself. We can't be hypocrites. We have to teach ourselves these skills as well as pass them on to our children. You know, this earlier today, you know, I try to get most of my work done when my daughter's sleeping and she woke up and I was so close to finished and just had maybe a couple things. And she's standing at the top of the stairs. And she goes, Mama, she's barely two. Mama, I wake up. She just learned how to open her own door. And it's that moment of choice, right? You know, I can either sit there and keep trying to do something while she walks down the stairs or I can close the laptop and model to her. Like you said, I'm not just going to allow this distraction to take me away. And so that model for kids is so important. I, I really appreciate near where you talk about, you know, again, pills don't teach the skills. The skills still need to be there no matter what. And the pills do have a side effect and need to be used as a last resort when it comes to a lot of these issues with regard to task saturation for many youth today. A lot of questions actually came in on this question of ADD and ADHD. So I really appreciate you going into that. Another topic actually relating to teenage boys, Warrior Coach Brown on Twitter asked, what is the number one thing we can do for teenage boys to help keep them focused and not be distracted? So the, the, it's the same exact things that we would do for ourselves. So just to, to go through the four steps. So we talked about step number one to becoming indistractable is mastering internal triggers. So teaching everyone, not just boys, but teaching everyone how we can deal with that discomfort in a healthier manner. If we don't master our internal triggers, if we don't master these uncomfortable emotional states, if we think that every discomfort needs to be escaped with a, a television or a social media or a video game, that's what we will continue to do. We need to teach ourselves as well as our children how to deal with discomfort in a healthier manner. The second step is to make time for traction. So as we said earlier, you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it is distracting you from. So maybe the best thing you can do for your child is to have a schedule. And I want you on that schedule to put time for the things that you think are distracting them. So if your child is struggling with too much video games or too much social media or too much YouTube, fine, put it in the schedule. Hey, you know what? How about 8 p.m. every night after you do your chores and we have dinner, that's your time to enjoy social media. That's your time to enjoy video games. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's done in moderation, right? And, and studies have found that three hours or less of extracurricular screen time has no deleterious effects. So as long as it's age-appropriate content, having that time in your schedule so that your child can say, hey, okay, I don't have to freak out all the time about when can I play Fortnite all the time. I know it's coming. It's in my schedule. It's, it's coming up soon. So having that time scheduled, now that becomes traction. Everything else is distraction. So that's step number mm -hmm. two. Step number mm -hmm. three is to hack back the external triggers. And this is, this is something that we should all do. There is no reason to have anything that can disrupt a child's sleep in their bedroom. Okay, the reason we're having a, a mental health crisis these days when it comes to children, it's not the technology itself, it's what the technology is displacing. And namely, it's displacing sleep. Mm -hmm. Sleep is absolutely critical for our mental and physical health. So anything that beeps, boops, or buzzes in a child's bedroom, and I'm talking about the television, I'm talking about the radio, certainly the computer, the iPad, or the phone, needs to be removed from their room. Remove all of those external triggers. Anything that can interrupt sleep is incredibly important that it not be in their bedroom. Also, when they are doing homework, for example, teach them how to turn off these external triggers. Turn off the television. Turn off, uh, you know, take, take the dog and put it in a different room so that when they are doing homework, for example, remove all those external triggers. Give them the peace and quiet they need to concentrate. 
Third, uh, sorry, fourth is to prevent distraction with pacts. And the beauty of, of using pacts, pacts are these pre-commitment devices. It's when we can decide in advance how we will stay into this zone of traction rather than getting distracted. And there's all these wonderful tools. For example, my daughter, she's 14. She uses an app called Forest, which is free. Anyone can download it. It's a beautiful little app. All it does, every time she's going to do work, she's going to do homework, let's say, she puts in, she opens this app and she puts in how much time she is going to do focus work for. Let's say it's 45 minutes, for example. Now, as soon as she hits go, this cute little virtual tree is planted on her home screen. And if she picks up her phone and does anything with it, the virtual tree dies. It gets chopped down. And she doesn't want to be a virtual tree murderer. So it's enough of an incentive to tell her, oh, you promised you were going to focus for 45 minutes. Stick with it. Only when you're done, you can pick up your phone again. And so she uses this as a tool for herself because, you know, if it's me telling her what to do, if I'm the police officer constantly telling her, stop doing this, stop doing that, now I'm the bad guy. As opposed to if she learns these skills for herself, well, now these skills are going to stay with her for a lifetime. So when she goes to college, when she gets into the working world, she has these four steps of becoming indistractable in her toolkit that she can use whenever she needs them. Fantastic response. I think so helpful, especially because kids have so many distractions today near. And one thing I just want to throw in when you're talking about making traction, and actually scheduling out your time, you need to plan time for rest to actually know that your kid can get eight to nine hours yes. of rest. But also so many of the studies show from little toddlers, even into the teenagers and all of us, we need to have time to be bored. And so scheduling that time mm -hmm, and where you mm -hmm. don't have anything you have to do, especially for that developing mind of teenagers, like actually have that time where they're not doing anything and they're not just running for whatever technology, but maybe they just sit outside and like they just sit there, right? And it gives thinking time, yeah. rest time, recovery time that's so important. Okay, more questions are coming in and I'm hoping we still get to my email question here in a second. Sure. Um, okay, best tips for distraction kids. We really already covered that with what you you threw in unless you have any specific tips for younger littles as well yeah so you know my, when my daughter was only six years old uh we sat down and we talked about this because she was obsessed with the ipad i mean i i, I can't tell you how many times i heard the words ipad time ipad time ipad time from when she was a very young child and, and so i think the best tip i can give you is number one is to become indistractable yourself to set a good example that's the most important thing and and, and really understanding the difference between traction what you say you're going to do and distraction it's not that these devices are evil we we don't want to teach our kids that you know the technology is melting their brain that's silly and, and let's face it the jobs of the future require them to be tech literate. So we don't want to we don't want to vilify technology. We want to teach them how to use these tools as opposed to letting these tools use them. Fantastic. Okay, final question here. We have just a moment here. I want to hear your philosophy on email. It's a huge distraction, but it's something we also yeah. need to take traction on. So what's your philosophy on what to do here? Absolutely. So email is it, when we did surveys on what distracts people uh, at work, the, the number two response, number one was other people. <laughs> the number one was, you know, your boss tapping on the shoulder or colleagues stopping by your desk when you're trying to do focus work. Number two was email, the bane of our existence when it comes to distraction in the workplace. So there's a few things. Number one, schedule time for email. Many people use email as a pacifier. Uh, I don't know what to do right now with my time. Let me check my email inbox. Uh, the, the big task I need to do is too hard. Uh, it's difficult. Let me go check my email. And we use it as an emotional pacifier. Again, 
the number one source of distraction is the desire to escape discomfort. So dealing with that discomfort in an unhealthy way by checking email is really pernicious because we think we're being productive, right? I got to check email. It's part of my job. But if you're checking email to escape doing the real important work, well, now it's a distraction. So let me give you a, a quick tip here. So what you want to do is to make sure that you touch each email twice, okay? No more than twice, because where we find people waste time in email is not the checking, it's the rechecking. You yes. open an email, you read it, you put it away. You open an email, you read it, you put it away. That's where we're wasting our time on email. So the idea here is that you open an email and you immediately ask yourself this most important question, which is when does it need a reply? Not what's in the email, but when does it need a reply? Sometimes the answer is never. If it's the answer is never, it's spam or it's just some message you, you know, you, you read and that's it, doesn't need a reply, you delete it or archive it. Boom, done. Next, you're going to find that 20% of your emails require a response today. Okay? So what do you do? You label that email, and every email service provider has a labeling uh, a system that you can use today. Then the rest of it you label sometime this week, and you get back to that email later on in a scheduled time. Fantastic. I love these tips. That's a near aisle. Find his book, Indistractable, nearandfar.com as well. We've tagged him on social media at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E to grab the link. enjoying that advent music okay one follow-up during a weekly happy hour today on the entire conversation we just had with near isle about distraction and what motivates us to be distracted because i think there's a really great catholic take that we can incorporate here so from the book indistractable and from our conversation if you missed it highly highly recommend this resource the book but also go back and listen to the episode relevantradio.com forward slash trending wherever you catch your podcast we're there the episode will be available later tonight you need to listen to this episode so basically what we're talking about is that distraction is usually an attempt to di escape discomfort and that's what's motivating us in terms of our distractions so we talked about how to figure out what those distractions are but more importantly to figure out what we're trying to avoid or that discomfort that we're trying to work through. So we talked about how you manage discomfort, um, but also that often those things that we fill in to help us feel more comfortable can actually become addictive habits that we have. You know, it could be anything from social media to checking email to working out, you name it. Uh, but what I really realize is that this is a great way to pinpoint our sins. What are those things that are our coping mechanisms, our distractions that are helping us to avoid a discomfort? And sometimes those discomforts are the things that we need or must get done or that just make us feel uncomfortable in situations. It could be something going on in your marriage. It could be, you know, not wanting to deal with a misbehaved child. I mean, there's so many things that could happen. But what's interesting is that Nira Isle in his book wrote, only by understanding our pain can we begin to control it and find better ways to deal with negative urges. So in other words, I want to talk about these distractions and those addictive habits that we use to soothe discomfort. It could be obsessively playing Candy Crush. Who does that still? Do people still do that? Or it could be, you know, even just your twitching hand reaching for your cell phone because you're trying to go to something that's more pleasurable uh, than the discomfort you have now. Now, let's talk about addressing the real issue and getting to the root of 
what those distractions are, but also our discomforts. And it really made me think about how if we take time, reflective time, and really use our prayer time as we are supposed to be using it, we're actually going to be aware every single day of our responsibilities, our distractions, where we've made traction, as Nir was talking about, to accomplish what we want, and how to work through and vet out and eradicate that sin in our lives. We need prayer. We need reflection time. We need to slow down to actually have the time to be honest with ourselves each evening in an examination of conscience. We then need to take those sins and take them to confession. Praise the Lord, we're Catholic. It's that penance servant se- service season this Advent, but there's confession available every single week at your church. And in fact, usually seven days a week, if you just call and make an appointment and you need to do it on your time. And with that confession, coming to our Lord, being healed by the blood of the lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ forgives our sins and draws us to him, filling us with the grace to actually reorient ourselves towards those responsibilities we have so that we are indistractable. So as much as we talk about all of these incredible hacks, these hacks that we have with talking about things such as the indistractable book also take us into the real spiritual dimension of the human person and the need for prayer, reflection, confession, honesty, but most importantly, God's grace within all of that. So just my Catholic take on distraction and kind of furthering that conversation. I hope you'll listen to the full episode on distraction because it has been fantastic. Okay, there have been some major wins in the last week that I've been dying to share with you, and I haven't gotten to them. Wins to protect children and doctors in the midst of this gender ideology craze. You won't hear about this anywhere else. It's unpopular to the media, mainstream media. It doesn't fit the agenda of most institutions today. And the reality is, is that They're not saying anything because real medical and psychological data is backing the court's latest decision. We're talking about good news, and I want to talk about during our happy hour because we're talking about human thriving. That we need to understand and continue to seek the wholesome of medicine and therapy that's in line with the blueprint to the human person. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Major victory. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit issued a unanimous ruling on December 9th this past week blocking the controversial United States Department of Health and Human Services, that's HHS's transgender mandate. The transgender mandate was basically forcing medical doctors over the last number of years, about six years now, uh, on and off based on the administration, to perform um, let's say, for example, so-called gender-affirming surgery, that is bodily mutilation, amputating breasts for girls, top surgery and bottom surgery, doing implants for boys, and also completely working plastic reconstructive surgery on the lower half of bodies. And we're not just talking about adults, children. This was being mandated by Health and Human Services and forcing medical professionals across the nation who in good conscience objected because of the sound medical data psychological data, or because it goes against their faith. For example, their Catholic faith. But not only that, this mandate was also forcing insurance agencies to cover, and at times for free, any cross-sex hormone so-called therapy. So taking hormones of the opposite sex and for teenagers or preteens, taking puberty-blocking drugs that would permanently block puberty from playing its course naturally in the natural development of a person. So what we're seeing here is that this is what's fascinating. 
Health and Human Services' own panel of medical ex- experts in this court case actually acknowledge the harm of gen- so-called gender transition procedures, that they're not medically justified, and Health and Human Services has had to determine that Medicare and Medicaid shouldn't be forced to cover such procedures, along with other private insurance. This is a common sense ruling, and it's ensuring that doctors can follow their Hippocratic oath to do no harm. This is a major win for the reality of who we are as human beings, for human flourishment and human happiness. You will not hear about this anywhere else. The mainstream media is silent on this unless they're trying to claim you, you and I, Catholics are making it so that minors can't receive basic care that prevents them from having, from going through suicide. That's not true. The scientific, medical, and psychological data is unanimous. In fact, there are further wins this year on the gender front. Internationally, there's an international consensus outside of the United States that agrees that this attitude of don't question anything and affirm everything when it comes to a confused gender identity, that it's not working. United Kingdom actually announced in earlier this year that they were shutting down their state-run youth gender transition clinic after a report identified the harm they and others are doing, including here in the United States, in our public school systems, and enforced through therapy across the nation, especially with minors, that the only thing you can do if someone starts to bring up gender is suddenly affirm them in an opposite sex, even if that child isn't saying that they identify as an opposite sex from what their biological reality is. So the truth is coming out internationally. The United States needs to catch up. This was great news with regards to the United States Court of Appeals in a unanimous ruling saying against this HHS mandate that you can't force doctors to perform these cross-sex hormone ther- so-called therapies, puberty blocker blocking drugs, or so-called sex changes. It's bodily mutilation because the science and the data isn't there. And so you need to share the news. The truth of the matter is that truth is on our side. And we need wholesome medicine and therapy that is in line with the blueprint of the human person. This really matters. And so this is fantastic news. I hope you'll share this with other people. Okay, it's the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Just reading some of the readings for today's Mass and even some of the hymns that we have, we read from Judith chapter 15, verse 9, you're the highest honor of our race. Talking about the Blessed Virgin Lady um, here at this apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, she's referred to by Juan Diego as the Lady from Heaven when she first appeared to him in 1531. Her image, known as the Tilma, which is a visible image that was imprinted on Juan Diego's um, apron, we know it, we refer to it as the Tilma, is still an item the church has at the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Now, I post on social media earlier, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, my favorite image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And today's a special day where I really am praying for you if you are praying for the gift of a child, if you're struggling with fertility. It's a reminder that salvation history is full of miraculous conceptions. I wrote about this on my Instagram today, uh, how for me, when I really think about this icon that I love of Our Lady of Guadalupe that I posted, that we're reminded when we go to the altar to receive our Lord 
Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, that we're supposed to be presenting everything to him, giving ourselves totally to him. And this is the icon of Our Lady, that she symbolizes that total love and self-sacrifice to our Lord. And that when we go to communion, preparing to receive his body, blood, soul, and divinity, that walk to the altar, just like a bride walking to the altar, presenting herself to her groom, is again something we're reliving in that moment. And each time I go to receive our Lord in communion, I think about reconsecrating myself to him during that walk down the aisle, offering him my vocation. Even before I got married, you know, knowing for me that there were, were potentially going to be some fertility issues, offering him my womb and saying, you know what, Lord, whatever you have in store, your will be done. You know, that having like our lady that I am a vessel for you, Lord, you do the work and having peace in that. Even offering your works, your hopes, and even failures to him to perfect. These are those moments where I think the icon of Our Lady of Guadalupe that I posted today, thinking of Our Lady and how we're meant to imitate her, is so powerful on this feast day. And people often speak of the beauty of Our Lady and her apparitions. It's not just because of that external beauty. It's everything she symbolized. Even in this image of Our Lady to Juan Diego, who led to massive conversion to Christianity, to Catholicism, there's so much that speaks to the culture in that icon of Our Lady. Even things such as the fact that her eyes are lowered and her she has prayerful hands to the Aztecs, it was a sign of humility that she's not a god to be worshipped. Even with a ray of sun behind her, it meant that she's greater than the Aztec sun god, yet in an image of absolute humility before God. Similarly, she stands upon a moon, which again shows superiority over the Aztec moon god, and we see all of these symbols here, such as an angel holding her up. Angels to the Aztecs were believed uh, to take their sacrifices to the gods. But Mary's a perfect sacrifice, and she is also being held on the shoulders of the angel, which to be held on the shoulders of an angel represents her place in the heavenly court. And so for us to be a part of God's kingdom, we're called to make that total self-sacrifice and give our fiat just like the Blessed Virgin Mary. Happy feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe.